Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's me nuts because I keep getting these comments about people like, oh, Kevin's flip-flopping or whatever. It's like, no, I'm not. Like, it's, it's so you annoying because, look, at some point, the inflation thing is going to go down. It's just when, when, that's the question. And so it's not a flip-flop. It's just it's just taking longer. You, you and people in the comments got to chill flip, out Kevin. about the flip. What? In fairness, you did flip. flip. I mean, yeah. you told me well, that you were planning to it's not, sell. Yeah. It's it. Look, the thesis is the same. Inflation's going to come down at some point. It's just going to be a little bit flatter. Oh, we're live. Um, hey, everyone. Well, uh, welcome to Millennial Money. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling. We're going to talk about uh, inflation, uh, Biden and his infrastructure plan, uh, Facebook. We'll talk about stocks. Uh, we'll talk about selling. We'll also talk about crypto and uh, real estate. Uh, didn't know we were live there. But uh, most importantly, we do have a sponsor to talk about, and that's uh, Andre. We are sponsor. Yes, today our sponsor is Motley Fool. They actually reached out to us and they asked us our top five stocks. So we submitted ours. I submitted mine this week and their experts gave their opinions and thoughts and their analyses on my picks. And amongst ourselves, we kind of have a contest about which stock is going to do better. I think mine is going to win, but I don't know. Kevin, Kevin is here and he's a big risk taker. I just think he, Kevin needs to go Super Saiyan right now. Whatever stocks are on Andre's list, you just need to dump and sell. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be hey, I, I think it would be hilarious if Andre won the competition. I think that would be absolutely it'd be hilarious. Awesome. It'd be awesome. And uh, the only way to win it is take Andre's list that you could get down below in the description and then short it. Yes. Run. Which would be hilarious because I guarantee you at least one of those stocks. We all own. <laughs> Hence the title <laughs> selling. Exactly. The leading oh. Facebook. Oh my Let's gosh. All right, folks. That. So let's let's get it. Facebook? So check out that link down below for Andre's yes. uh top five stocks that he's investing in as part of the competition. But uh, let's talk, folks. Why don't we get started with the debt ceiling and then we'll go through like inflation, Biden's thing, Facebook, and then hit some stocks. How do you guys feel about that? You want to start with the debt ceiling? No, let's, let's talk about the debt ceiling. This is coming up, Gavin. What is it? October 18th. And then we October run 18th, out of money, the next right? day, Graham. How do you feel about it? Is is the are we gonna be in default for the first time ever? Or is this gonna be what kicks Biden out of office? Because people, you know, he's the first one that would have let us default if it happens. You know what? You know what would be funny? I have a feeling we're gonna get very, very, very close. Because I remember, so so for those who don't know, we have we have a debt ceiling basically. It's uh the US is only able to borrow so much money. And right now we've already hit that amount. So I think it was like 27, 28 trillion dollars. That 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 was the previous ceiling. We hit that back in I think July. And so since then we've been taking these extraordinary measures. So basically we're cutting back on a few things. We're trying to scrimp and save money to get us through. But that's only going so far until October 18th where uh, we're going to be out of money. And so at that point, we risk defaulting on the debts. And if that happens, uh, the USA basically has a credit rating. Like, like people have credit ratings. The US has what's called the triple A credit rating, which means it's never defaulted ever in the history. And so the risk is that, well, if it defaults just once, 
then that's forever going to stay on its record. Then forever the USA is going to be a country that defaulted before at some point on its debts. That's really, that's not a good look. In 2011, they got very, very, very close. And the S&P actually downgraded them to a triple A plus. You have a triple A and you have a triple A plus. And just that little downgrade by the S&P caused the stock market to drop. I think it was like 7% in a single day when that came out. Everyone panicked. So there is a risk. I think we're going to get extremely close. What worries me is the fact that that they allow it to get this close. The fact that uh, it's even a discussion that's two weeks away. Less than two weeks away, actually. It's going to be like 10 days. The fact that we're 10 days away and it's still up for discussion is scary. I mean, it's bad. They need, they need the, the Dave Ramsey method, you know? They really got to get on the baby step three of just like paying down this debt. Yeah, and then we'd be Japan. Our economy would be shrinking and uh, people would be leaving the country. All right, so does this affect our interest rate, right? So if we default and we go to triple B or whatever we might get, that affects the U.S.'s triple ability B. to borrow money, right? Yeah, Would that it affect- just means, yeah, so investors love investing in the United States and they'll get a low interest rate because they know it's safe. They put 100 bucks in, it's pretty much guaranteed they're going to get their $100 out. There's no risk there. So now that there's a little bit of risk on the table, the U.S.A. has to pay a little bit more interest, which means borrowing money is more expensive. Be like you getting a mortgage instead of getting a 2.8%. Now the lender's like, well, you, you missed a payment over here. So now uh, 3.3. That's the best that we could do. So now it just gets more expensive. Give you tree fitting. That'll be 350. <laughs> and they're like, damn it, Loch Ness Monster. I knew it. Uh, Andre, in the meantime, going. Or mint the trillion dollar coin. Yeah, Andre's got a great video on that. Uh, But in the meantime, what is so wonderful about drama like this in Congress, and I want to hear all your opinions on this, is uh, it creates some beautiful uncertainty in the stock market, which I feel like we last had a really good bout of uncertainty in the S&P 500 last September. Interesting how it's almost basically the same month. It just was about two or three weeks later than last year. And uh, uh, then we saw that uncertainty again right before the election, like come mid-October, a lot of uncertainty right before the election. Is it going to be a contested election? What's going to happen? And people sell on this kind of stuff. Uh, And so in my opinion, it's a wonderful buying opportunity uh, because the uncertainty is oftentimes just uh, the fear is worse than the actual result. But I want to hear... Have you guys been buying this week since since the last millennial money? We've had quite a few red days. Wednesday, Thursday, and Monday were pretty red days. Did y'all buy? Yeah. Kevin, first off, you make a great point. Yeah, buy tattooed chef stock. I, I agree with you 100%. That's I think I, that's what I heard, but I'm not 100% It's sure. just down so much. How could you not? It's like buy it out of pity. <laughs> oh, man. But anyways, it is a great point, though. It, you know, it, it shakes up the market. And then the thing I've been thinking about is with the with the market recently, how much is it really the debt ceiling stuff? Because uh, let's be honest, this comes up every few years and I feel yeah. like everybody's kind of looking past it. I wonder how much is the, the Evergrande situation? You know, I go on CNBC very, very late last night, maybe midnight, one in the morning. They got a, they got a news story about Evergrande, Evergrande and they didn't, you know, make a payment. And, you know, I wonder how much is really that versus uh, the, the debt ceiling stuff. But there's no doubt, uh, as of yesterday at least, 
the big tech was off about seven and a half percent from their highs. So it's not a huge number. And I know, Andre, for compared to Bitcoin, that's like you wouldn't even notice it. But, you know, for the stock market, it's starting to it starts to you know shake up a little bit. Nasdaq was as of yesterday, Nasdaq was down over a thousand points from uh, its high about a month ago. So, uh, yeah, but I've been doing a little bit of buying. Uh, a little bit of buying a Corsair, that stock just gets killed. It doesn't matter if the market goes up, down, or doesn't do a thing. It's just downtrends. So I've been doing buying a little bit of that one. I still feel like small caps are a rocket ship waiting to pop, but we just don't know when that pop's going to happen. Which ones? Well, I feel like I feel like Corsair is one. I feel like uh, Honest is another one. Smile Direct Club, I would put in that category, which that one went up huge today. I think it was up like yeah. 15%. Um, and there's probably a few others that – they just seem like they're, they're, you know, just have gotten destroyed and destroyed. And it just seems like they're way overreaching to the to the the downside. And it just seems like it's a matter of time before, you know, that's that switch happens. And we know when that switch happens, man, it happens fast and you get moving the other d- direction pretty dang quickly. So uh, but what, what about you, Andre? You making any moves out there? No. So last week I did. I bought <clears throat> Ethereum, but I think the market's going to feel a little bit more pain. Um, I think we haven't hit max pain just yet. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll feel it in a week or so, but what do you guys think? Do you guys think it's going to take a few days? I mean, I'm looking at win right now. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about stocks. Oh, 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 uh, well, I like what Jeremy said, because I agree. I think sophisticated investors over and over again, they, they hear congressional drama and it's really just become an eye roller. It's like, really? Okay, we know it's going to be an 11th hour deal. Like, we've been down this road before. And we also already anticipate that Janet Yellen is saying the 18th, this is the deadline, when we know it probably can get, you know, pushed over to like the 19th or the 20th. Like, is it really going to come down to that date, right? She'll say that to try to get the fire. But come on, like, negotiation 101, right? You know, give your best offer, right? Uh, So... Uh, but the problem is, uh, and I noticed this, I wrote it down. I noticed it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It was so weird last week. The S&P 500 fell substantially into the close on each of those days to where it was almost lower than at any other point throughout the day, the trading day. And I personally think that's because you have retail people who maybe are newer to the stock market, maybe uh, have been investing in the indices and haven't felt a 7% correction yet. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're paper handing. They're selling out of their funds. They're calling their hedge fund going, that's it. This is it. I need my money. I, no, no, I don't want to hear you rush. I just need my money out, right? So they're pulling their money out. And even though the institutions are like, hey, this is stupid. Don't take your money out. The people are like, I want my money. And, and so ultimately, they have to oblige. Then they have to sell. You know, Kathy can't co- get on the phone with people, probably thankful for that. Uh, can't get on the phone people uh, with people and tell them not to sell. So they sell. And, and you see outflows like crazy at, at the funds. And then so you, you get all the clickbait articles like, Kathy's selling Tesla. Well, no, duh. That's what happens when people sell out of your fund. You have to sell the underlying securities, but whatever. Uh, and, uh, it, and personally, I wonder how much of it is really just retailers paper handing uh, who are invested in funds. That's why I think within the next two weeks, we're going to still continue to see more fear mongering. And if we don't meet the deadline and what is it, two weeks, right? Two weeks we have. Yeah. Yeah, So at that point, we could extend it another, I don't know, week. Maybe we do go into a shutdown. If that happens, then guess what? Things go red even more. So, I mean, if that happens, then I'm, I'm definitely buying the dip. But as of right now, I'm just kind of steadily buying. I'm not changing my strategy. 
but crypto last week was was definitely painful so that's i don't think it's as painful it's definitely recovered since so yeah i don't know well, i've been buying a lot all of these dips i have to say i mean i when it drops i don't know i i've been putting more money in the market lately over these this last week but during the days like this where it's up you still look overall and and we're only back to where we were like a few months ago so yeah. in terms of how big of a drop this is i mean this is pretty small in the big picture and uh very well i mean i don't know i, I think it could very well continue to fall as it could continue to go up but i think along the way we'll probably just bounce back and forth like we dip down everyone buys in goes back up then it's going to dip again everyone buys in again it seems like there's a lot of money on the sidelines andre what why bitcoin come back so strong i think we're over 50k any reason or just just people buying it up sorry sorry did you freeze for me or is that me being frozen that was you yeah right, that was loud and clear you're freezing, Andre. Ah, uh, all right. I think Wait. I heard the question. Why is Bitcoin going up? Is that the question? All right. So, uh, so yeah, only one reason that I've I've seen so far, and that's the U.S. Bank, right? Which is considered the fifth largest bank. So they're opening up custody services, which is just a fancy word for saying they're allowing uh, institutional hedge funds, not retail people like us, to go in there and hold their Bitcoin directly. Because as of right now, they're buying what Grayscale Trust. They're investing through that. Um, this way, they would be able to buy Bitcoin directly. And if they don't want to custody or just hold it themselves, if they would rather trust a big bank, then those billion-dollar hedge funds could just be like, here, U.S. bank, hold my coins. But the reason the market's becoming so bullish is because the sentiment is that eventually this will trickle down to the retail investor, right? And then eventually we would be able to go to a bank and say, hey, I have these Bitcoins, U.S. bank, can you hold them for me? So that's the implication. That's why people are excited. And my thinking is, can you imagine the day that uh, Elon Musk's initiative, the green uh, energy miner uh, movement gets kicked, uh, gets uh, started? That would be crazy because then hedge funds could start to buy Bitcoin directly because it's compliant, right? It's energy compliant. And can you imagine the billion, I don't even know how much offshore money we have, but like certainly billions and billions of dollars that are just sitting there in the Cayman Islands or wherever it is that they could just like put it into Bitcoin. Because as of right now, it's just sitting there losing value to inflation. Can you imagine the moment that it's like, oh, here, you could just deposit the money with us. I mean, I feel like some of them would be encouraged to deposit that money in there. And yeah, who knows? That, that makes sense. What, what do you feel is the next big catalyst for Bitcoin, Andre? The ETF, 100%. ETF. Yeah, that's, that's the next big one. OK, do you think yeah. that's like are we talking like that's a massive step forward for Bitcoin? Like, Personally, like you know, I think a public ETF would skyrocket Bitcoin to 100K in one day. That's, one that's day? how bullish I am. One day. Whoa. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Kevin? Wow. Uh, well, it, that assumes that there's going to be this insane new demand that an ETF creates uh, quickly uh, within a day. I, I don't know. I, I, I see the optimism around an ETF a lot. I, I think it's wonderful. You know, ARK's trying to do it. Uh, most of the institutions are trying to do it. Uh, I think there are dozens of ETFs uh, pending application review with the SEC. SEC just punts on them all the time. Uh, I think, it, it, look, it's in my opinion, 2022 is going to be the year of crypto, in my opinion. We're going to get the ETF. We're going to get so much. We're going to get clear regulation, which I actually welcome. I think there are going to be so many catalysts. But boy, to 100K, I mean, I guess it depends where we are before. If let's say 
tomorrow the ETF came out. Uh, do you you think a double Andre? Why? Why do you just think so much more money is going to go? That's it. This is like the SEC has blessed it now, or, or maybe, maybe tell me that it's not even it's not even the fundamental aspect of it. It's, mm. it's the speculative fervor that's going to happen within crypto. It's just the news of that. Okay. People are just gonna pile in so much money and like, oh, this was the catalyst. I needed. And who knows? They're going to sell their stocks, sell their houses, sell sell their kidneys to go into Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's just okay. Okay. It's the speculativeness of it that will drive it there. Now, is it going to last at 100K for, for you know a prolonged period of time? I don't know. But I could see it at least flash up to that point and stay there for who knows how long. And then maybe it'll come back down. I'm not saying it's going to stay there indefinitely for a mm. long time. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So so you think you could actually get a momentum movement yeah. after an ETF uh gets gets approved, let's say. And mm -hmm. uh would you then sell uh, at at uh, a potential uh, peak? That's a great question. I personally wouldn't because I'm the worst at timing things, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm That's not fair. very good. I'm not good at timing things, so I just stay in the markets regardless and I, okay. I don't care. I think we'll be at 100,000. Uh, for a prolonged period of time, uh, you know, we're not there yet, but give it a year or two. And I think we'll be there. Uh, we're not going to go below 50K in the next cycle. Now, do you think it's possible that crypto is coming back uh, at the moment because we're seeing these inflation concerns kind of come back again, right? In in like uh, June and July, there was a lot of talk about, okay, we've peaked on inflation and we started kind of seeing a little bit of an inflection. Now we're getting those fears again, that crap, supply chain shortages getting worse or lasting longer. Basically everything's bigger and lasting longer than expected. Uh, every girl's dream. <laughs> uh, and the, the question is, is it possible that when this eventually rotates down uh, in terms of inflation, when we eventually get here, this this is a screenshot from Bloomberg, wh whenever this, this actually happens, whether that's in two years from now, six months from now, whatever, is it possible, in your opinion, Andre, that, that and I want to hear from you, Graham and, and Jeremy, too, yeah. is it possible that uh, we, we maybe run up now on inflationary fears, you know, maybe we get crypto 50, crypto 70K, uh, but, uh, but then we go over here and, and we're, we're back down to, I don't know, 20 or something like that. Is, is that possible? Gosh. Yeah, no, it is possible. Um, I feel like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing more and more memes around the internet of, of, of Jerome Powell. And it's like, inflation is transitory. It's like <laughs> stuffing down your mouth. It's, and I don't know if people believe that message. And if we get to that point in that curve that you're showing me at 5%, five and a half percent, even if it's short lived. The fact that we will get to that point, if we do, I, I think that's going to be such a huge catalyst for people to throw in a ton of so, money into Bitcoin. So two things then, Kevin, on this chart here, we're at kind of peak inflation right now. You think then, based on that, that this would be a great time to pile into tech? Yes. Okay. And then face. And, and stocks smashed by the supply crisis. So I did this... Uh, this little list. I'll just read them off really quick. Uh, so supply stocks, uh, I threw down some things that have just recently been getting beat up a little bit more. 
Disney, Mattel, Enphase, Shift, Sherwin-Williams, Under Armour, Nike, and Hasbro. These are just examples. I haven't done like big deep dive fundamentals on all these. I just look at these as like, these are companies that have fundamentally gotten smashed because of not just supply shortages, chip shortages, tech shortages, car shortages, human shortages, mostly with Disney being the human one, the factory shutdowns with Nike, shipping delays, right? Uh, so higher valuation, tech, and then potentially the ones that are getting crushed by the supply shortage. Both of those, in my opinion, are things that, yeah, you're, you're going to be buying into pain on. The question, though, is how long does that pain last, right? People are always like, oh, you don't want to catch a falling knife, right? One of those stocks you mentioned, by the way, Kevin, is a stock that I picked in my top five. If you want to know what they are, link down below. <laughs> wow. I, I, do agree with you. Yeah. I do agree with you with one specifically for sure. Ooh. Now yeah. I have to look. Because <laughs> no, I don't no. know what the list now, Kevin, are you are you saying kind of anything tech related, or are you just are you referring to big tech, or just want to just want to clarify that there? Ah, Andre, I found it. Yeah, folks, you're gonna have to go to. I'm gonna answer you there one sec, Jeremy. But uh, Andre, yeah, that's interesting, folks. You're gonna have to go to fool.com/slash/Andre to see what that one is. I like that one, Andre. That's a good. It wasn't on my list, but I like that one. Dang it, I can't short that one. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of Bitcoin, by the way, because you were talking about this, I sent you a link. I'd love for you to put it up. We've talked about this before, and uh, Andre, I know you've covered this. The stock to flow model of Bitcoin. Sorry, uh, I'm gonna pull it so up. Rude. I'm gonna quickly answer, Jeremy. Uh, oh. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> you're, you're you're asking uh, like what kind of tech, uh, like small cap, mid cap, large cap, or or like sec like. Yeah, yeah. Are you just saying buy everything tech, or is it just big tech, or is it just specific sec? You know, categories inside tech. Um, you know, it's a it's a little bit of uh, it's a it's a little bit of everything. So I have insure tech. Uh, so like Lemonade or Hippo, right? Uh, then there's FinTech, right? We know these, the SoFi's, the whatevers. Uh, then uh, there's the consumer discretionaries like Etsy, uh, revolutionary, right? Affirm, in my opinion. Uh, then, of course, you've got like the energy tech. So those those are the kinds of ones I want. And I try to spread out amongst those different techs. And then in addition to like Fang, right? But I try to spread out amongst those. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes people are like, oh, Kevin, why insurance? And it's like, well, I mean, like I'd like to also have some innovative aspect to my portfolio there right no. Uh, no. not that i necessarily love insurance <laughs> quick quick question uh, by the way on that point before you finish is that now the diversity of sectors would that technically be classified as a diversified sector pick or would that no. all be sort of tech no no it's, it's horribly not. diversified it's yeah no but, but see, tech. i mean it, it's i would look at it as more as a um, purely growth uh, which is bad because uh, you know you in inflationary times you're you're eating dirt right you're eating poopy, uh, but but that's okay because I diversify my portfolio with real estate so that way if we have those inflationary times my real estate is usually kicking butt so uh, but but not everybody's portfolio is like that anyway okay so uh, Graham you yeah. sent a, a chart called a stock to flow model okay you. you um, have at it, Graham. Yeah. So Andre, would you probably be able to help explain this better than me? But the stock to flow model, you could explain exactly how it works. But my understanding is so far, this has done a pretty good job extrapolating what the value of Bitcoin is going to be over time. And yeah. it hmm. puts the value of Bitcoin really by the end of the year at almost $80,000. And so far, it's 
it's maintained this trajectory. Um, right. I don't know off the top of my head how it's calculated, but I, I'm sure you, Andre, would have a better idea. Yeah, I made a video about this. Now right. I'm going to try to dig deep and see if I remember because it can get complicated. But basically, this line follows the issuance rate to demand. Um, and so over time, as the issuance rate of Bitcoin goes down, so it gets cut in half every four years, and as the demand goes up, it, it's basically modeling that. Now, one thing this thing cannot take into account are things like, you know, uh, the Rony Rona, right? It can't predict that because these are human factors that we can't take into account. But so far, this chart has been right, I think, within 5% margin of error or 10% margin of error. Um, and so far, yeah, it does put Bitcoin at around, what was it, $80,000 by the end of this year. Um, now it doesn't mean that it's going to indefinitely, like for sure be at 80,000. It could be below that. It could be higher. As you can see, like we've had peaks above the line and we've had peaks below. So it really depends. It's, and it's going to depend on things like, you know, the ETF, or it's going to depend on, you know, negative regulations. Maybe we get that instead. We don't know, but all this is following is the supply rate. And as the supply rate gets cut in half and the demand goes up, that's just like a mathematical way of calculating that. Yeah, yeah I remember there was a point, I think like two or three months ago, where if Bitcoin didn't reach a certain price, he was going to be wrong on his prediction. And I think in the last moment, McAfee? he got like, what? John McAfee? No, it wasn't John McAfee. It was uh, the, what was it? Plan B on Twitter. Oh, right. What about him? Uh, there was a point a few months ago where uh, he was very close to having this be wrong. Or there, there's something about this. And I think it was like last minute and last like few days, the price of Bitcoin went up to the point where he could say that it was correct. Right. And technically, yeah. I, I think the reason he said he was going to be quote unquote wrong is because it was going to dip below that 10% or I, I, I don't remember what it was, but it was below that yes. threshold, which has never happened before because it's only been within a certain margin of error. And right. I, I think it was 10%. I could be wrong, though. It was um, something like that. But I remember looking back at this after it had happened because nobody had talked about it. Right. And uh, sure enough, he was he was correct. Yes. Very no, surprising. Is, and I thought... Awesome. Yeah. I, I really like that you shared that. I love the stock-to-flow model. Uh, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. I was looking into this earlier when I just... Because every morning I checked the price of Bitcoin. I checked it. I was like, wait, what? 50 now? What, what happened? It was just like 47 over the weekend. And so when I start looking into it, apparently a big push was Bank of America calling it uh, too big not to be taken seriously. And um, it was them just saying that and really endorsing uh, Bitcoin, getting behind it, that people are like, all right. Uh, Bank of America also made a really interesting point that they said more regulation long term could be good for Bitcoin because that means it's going to gain more acceptance the more it's regulated. And uh, yeah. the more regulation kind of you put on it, the more question it takes off the table of like, is this going to be something that's banned? Right. It's so funny to me to see like these institutions and hedge funds and banks be like, guys, no, Bitcoin, seriously, it's actually pretty cool. And we're like, <laughs> okay, please tell me yeah. more. Yeah. Tell me something I didn't know. <laughs> so yeah. what's also interesting to me, though, is I just saw this because this is a logarithmic scale chart, uh, right. which means this number goes up exponentially, right? Uh, but there are a few things that make me curious. First of all, it does not appear like days halvening matters much. 
Uh, I mean, there, there are a couple places here where you've got green above, you've got the dark blue down below. Uh, so, so maybe, but then you've got the green kind of breaking that trend over here. So who, who knows, right? I, I, the colors I'm going to ignore. Uh, what I think is interesting though, is that, uh, for some reason, this, this red line that's drawn, uh, this, this, uh, mean or, or, or moving average or whatever. I want to know why they think it's going to be so much flatter here around this 84,000 to where basically they're saying Bitcoin could literally be flat for two years is what they're saying. They're saying no appreciation in Bitcoin for two freaking years, which basically means if this is going to hold true, you sell it as soon as this thing gets to $84,000. Uh, and then and then basically you want to get in uh, before when, once it starts running again. So you see it go from 85 to 100, you get in, you ride it to a mill and then you GTFO again. But they don't show that same sort of flatness really here. You have more growth built into here. So I want to understand why that. But because I also want to know. Hold on. Hold on. Let me jump in real quick before I forget. Because it's easier to move an asset with a smaller market cap than it is as it grows larger. So as it grows bigger, it's a lot harder to move over time. Okay. Which, okay. Okay. So I could see that doesn't... because the halvening yeah. is, right. is creating this run up is what you're saying. Right. right. No, the problem the... that I have. Right. Uh, which which I don't love uh, is that this chart has technically only been right one time so far from what I can understand. And that seems odd. Why would I say it's only been right one time so far? Well, because of this date created January 2019. So, I mean, I can look at any chart in the past and apply patterns over it. And then if I happen to be right one more time thereafter, which it's not even perfect, uh, not that the other times have been, but you have to be right, right one time after, does that all of a sudden bestow this genius credibility on everything else? Because remember, 2019 is January 2019 is somewhere over here, right here. Right. So, so, so Kevin, Kevin, quick, 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 quick. Let me just jump in real quick. So the stock to flow model was not uniquely created for Bitcoin. It wasn't something this yeah. guy looked at the chart and just retroactively created this beautiful graph, right? The stock to flow model was applied to other assets like gold and silver and all this other stuff. And to a T, all of these assets that have a predictable issuance rate have that same trend where it follows the stock to flow model. So the stock to flow model was not uniquely created for Bitcoin. It could be retroactively applied to virtually any other predictable issued asset and it would yeah. follow the line. Now, the, so, the so we could see this in gold, is what you're saying, right? Right, 100%. Yes. Okay. I guess we'll we'll have to oh, we'll do we'll we'll table that and put some more research on. I find it interesting, but yeah. it, as with it, like here's one one of the things that kills me about trading. And so I well, first of all, I like to be skeptical. I tend to be very skeptical. Oh, one of the things that kills me is there are there's like a library of charts that that or or uh, templates or things that I could apply. Oh, that pattern. Hold on. Uh, page 13,752. Ah, yes. And that's this pattern right here. Mm -hmm. Classic Gubabaga pattern, yes, you know, yes. whatever. Right. It's like you can, if you got the chart in the past, you can apply something to it. And so that just makes me skeptical. If, if you're saying the stock, the flow has also worked with gold, uh, okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe, yes. maybe then, then there's, there's some interesting argument there. 
I will say, I will say the only skeptical, and, and I love being skeptical as well. And I, I, I can't stand chart patterns because they're just like human psychology is nothing more. Yes. That's all it is. But uh, one, one thing that makes me skeptical about that graph is that if you apply it to any other crypto, virtually any other crypto in the market, it does not apply. It falls apart. Hmm. So there has to be some, there has to be some level where it crosses over. And I don't know what that X factor is, but once it becomes that thing, then it can be applied. But for example, if you apply this to another crypto, like, I don't know, Cardano or something else, yeah. it, it would not have that same path, interestingly. And so it does not apply to every asset whose issuance rate we can predict. That's the thing I don't understand why that is. And what is that X factor? I, I don't know. All I know is that it does apply to certain metals and it, it does apply to Bitcoin. Hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a great question. Hmm. Jeremy, Graham? I don't know. I don't know. I, I see your point, Kevin. I, I, that's definitely, I think, something to take into consideration. So I believe in that. I don't know where it's going to go from here. I have no idea why it just works with Bitcoin. Why does it work with you know, other coins. Let's see. What did you just pull up here? I, it's the same thing. It's just, uh, um, oh, I you know, kind that. of just looking at the scatter plot zoomed in basically. and sort of the variance that you get above and below the, the line that they've kind of drawn here. But again, I'm skeptical going backwards, uh, you know, just because if the chart was created in 19 uh, and, and I'm also wondering what, what's very interesting. Okay. Here's, here's a question. This red line, does this red line update uh, as the, the price movements happen? So does this chart change every day as, no. as this, the price changes? No, it doesn't. Okay. Because it does say stock flow, 365-day average. So to me, that sounds like a moving average. So at some point, if this is a moving average, this should honestly be a dotted line because this is a prediction over here. And this is taking the actual moving average, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm looking into it. I'm, I'm trying to see if it applies for gold. Okay. I think we, we have videos to make about this. <laughs> yeah, take, a, take a screenshot and track it over time and see if it, see if it moves well, no, at all. I, I've been aware of this stock-to-flow model, and that chart has just always looked the same. Now, admittedly, I haven't like looked at the numbers. All I see is just the picture of the line graph, and it's never changed in the last few years that I've seen it. But, you know, that's definitely something good to be skeptical about. I don't think it updates because if it did, social media would just have a field day with it and be like, oh, this graph is blah, it's just, it's constantly changing. And social media will admit it's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will gladly point out who is wrong. <laughs> that, I like that. That's a good point. Very well. Very well yeah. said. Okay. So the next thing that uh, I, I mean, do it. Do we have anything? Do we want to talk about Sheeb, Shibu Inu here? Uh, you know, the, the oh Elon God. Musk pump of the dog coin, or, or are we staying away Everyone's from dog coins? Everyone's talking about that. Okay. Do you know anything about it, Kevin? I know that it's based on Ethereum and a dog and a dream. Uh, it has, okay. Here's what I would love to hear from Andre is Andre, please, if you can help us understand what this burning of coins, okay, to, to call something different, like, with Shiba, I was looking into this, and they're like, oh, well, we have a quadrillion coins that we issued, but we burned half of them. So, therefore, <laughs> it's deflationary. I'm like, no, it's not. Just just because some jerk 
whatever. Maybe he's a nice guy. I don't know because some nice guy, I'll just say it that way, decided to burn half, you know, half of the existing supply. Doesn't make it deflationary. That just means somebody burned half the supply. Right. Sorry, was I supposed to comment on that? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I guess the question is, uh, what what would make a coin deflationary? Because uh, like with Ethereum, for example, uh, coins get sent off to uh, to a wallet that nobody has access to. But who created this wallet? Does that person have access to where coins go to die, basically? Uh, and any thoughts on the burning or, or making cryptos deflationary? Dude, this is so complicated. I don't keep up with every coin. <laughs> so no. I have no idea how the mechanics okay, of burning work because you have two sides to the equation. There's the burning, but there's also the issuance rate, right? So I, I don't know the issuance rate, how that compares. Does it have utility beyond that in, you know, in other applications? Right. I have no idea. I, I don't know. So I don't know what I'm hearing you're saying is all in on the sheep. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> YOLO all of it. <laughs> because there was somebody here in this chat that said they are really, really excited that Sheeb is doing so well because they have 13 million coins in Sheeb. And I'm like, 13 million? That sounds like a lot. So I took 13 million and multiplied it by the USD equivalent. And folks, they have $234 in Shibu Inu, and they want you to know that they're adding. Nice. <laughs> yeah, out of, out of quadrillion, which probably is like what point zero 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 one percent or something. I thought for a second you were going to be like twenty grand, then I'd be like, all right, twenty grand, two hundred, and they have seven dollars. <laughs> okay, are any of you in Sheep? Or are we moving no, off this one? This is a, this oh is yeah, I'm, I'm super heavy in it. I've been getting into the crypto game so heavy lately. It's just it's pretty much all my days consumed with is just looking at the U.S. debt chart and buying cryptos. That's pretty oh much gosh. all I do now. Yeah, by the way, have you guys ever heard of the U.S. debt clock? Oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> nope. We're not doing this again. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Never heard of that. Wait, have wait, you ever wait. heard of Facebook? <laughs> wait, hold on. Before what? we get can we talk about why Elon pumped that? I thought he was like a super Dogecoin supporter. You know, what's crazy is he didn't even really pump the coin. He just put a picture of a Shibu dog on his Twitter. Okay. Wait, but that, that was a signal. Folks, that was a signal. He's clearly all in in the Shibu Inu. Oh, wait. What? I thought it was clearly Shiba Inu. Isn't that Dogecoin because that's the Shib? Or is that or is the Shibu Inu a completely different dog breed? I, I don't know. No, no, no. The Dogecoin is the shibu like the icon is a shibu inu but then right. they make made a coin called shibu inu oh i see Got so it. so dogecoin is like based on bitcoin and shibu inu is based on ethereum and uh and, and yeah i guess uh elon's Got dog it. is named floki or whatever and yeah. so now the floki coins are taking off this is like i i i, I don't get it i mean i i see it <laughs> i can observe but I don't get it. <laughs> when the market falls and collapses, we're going to be talking on millennial money like, wow, this was the pivot point. This was the inflection <laughs> that we didn't see coming. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what led crypto to go to zero. <laughs> no, I, you know what? It's uh, funny because we can't we can't reasonably criticize these projects because any anything you criticize about that, you could literally take and apply to anything else in crypto, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything else. So you just sound like an old bitter guy who's just like too late, who didn't buy enough. And it's just, it's impossible. And so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And speaking of which too, 
I just I just checked this since uh, crypto's up. Crypto punks are now up a hundred thousand dollars from when I first mentioned them here. Wow. A month and a half ago. Yeah, the new floor is uh, four hundred and nineteen thousand dollars. Wow. But people are they actually buying that or is that just like the sale prices? I'm sorry. That like, uh, thing that for? that's now the base as far as what the cheapest one is listed for sale. Yeah, but are they actually see here's my problem and this is the same problem that happens in pokemon it's like people will look at the last sale price and this is why i like real estate because it's more sensible in that way you don't look at the last sale price you look at the average over a long period of time and in pokemon and it's seemingly in crypto as well that like they see the last sold thing and they're like well clearly mine is worth that much too then and it's like okay good luck finding that rich guy that's going to buy your stuff for 400 grand like your random nft that there's like thousands of that's my only issue is like if this was a baseline over a long period of time, like, yeah, then it's worth that much. But a last sale is doesn't make any sense to me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, to me, these are um, less stable than Evergrande. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's Ever all good while the going's hot. You know, you're getting your 12% dividend or whatever, you know, your value of your cyberpunk or whatever's going up. Uh, when stuff hits the fan, you're liquidating this stuff for pennies well, on the dollar. I'm just saying we there were two recent sales uh, just as of a few days ago, one for $1.5 million and then one for $993,000. But, okay, let's analyze this. Who bought them? Our, and, and is the person who bought them somehow going to be able to benefit from success in the nft business like when visa buys a cyberpunk or funk or whatever it is they're trying to win nft business for pr processing right it's marketing you know when when people buy these these multi-million dollar things from from um sotheby's and then you find out these these buyers are are associated with some sort of nft business it's an eye roller to me it's really it's nothing more than than blatant collusion to manipulate these prices is what it sounds like to me. Right. Right. And that's what I was going to say. Like, there's also the other issue is like, are, is it just an insider buying it just to pump up his own bag? Like, I don't know. Where's the research on that? I have no idea. It's See kind of a wild, wild this, lab. where's that Zillow TikTok loser. This <laughs> is the stuff we should be talking about. <laughs> Kevin, be nice. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny? I saw his response. He did a response on TikTok. And he's like, I never said that was going to happen. I said, what if that happens? Hypothetically, <laughs> what if? I never said that was going on. I just said, what if they were able to do that? And everyone just took that too literally. Well, no, I believe him. That was a very smart strategy on his behalf. Well, like, why not say something that's non-committed like that and just get like a lot of bad? I think, listen, I think that would make him look bad in his real estate business. I, I think he's a, yeah, just a, he's attracting the, those people aren't buying houses. I'm, the, I'm average that person, the average person does not care to look beyond that research. Yeah, they, but, they don't but watch here's the thing. Video. 
if he's doing this for attention, he's drawing attention to his real estate business. And I think those are not his clients. The people who believe that are not out buying houses. They're doing the opposite of that. They're, they're just, they're following on TikTok and that's it. I could totally see people be like, wow, you're so smart. You expose the truth. Show me the great deals now. <laughs> like that makes sense. Why not? They're not looking at our videos explaining. No, 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 no. Wait, let me show you a 15 minute long video that disputes this minute long thing you already believe. Uh, listen, if I were Keller Williams and I got a hold of that and he worked for my company, I would uh, sit him down. You, you have to train him for a whole weekend. And just educate him on the real estate business. Start over from scratch. I would give him a learn the whole business. I, I would give him a promotion and say, make ten more like that. <laughs> it's. I think. It's a, I think it's a terrible image for for Keller. Whatever brokerage he's with, I don't think it's a good image at all that he's spreading misinformation. Speaking of spreading misinformation, maybe that's a great segue to Facebook. <laughs> that's a good one. Deleting it. Um, I. Really quick, before we transition, I want to just mention, I looked up the um, wallet for this, this the last cyber, whatever, purchase or whatever <laughs> that you said. Crypto punk. Yeah. The last PNG file that sold for $1.53 million. JPEG, even worse, it degrades. Uh, <laughs> the, the last JPEG that sold for $1.53 million. I would like to just mention that when I look at their wallet, this is an account that literally uh, on August 9th had had $150 million worth of volume. I'm sorry, between August 9th and 15th. These people, whoever they are, are literally constantly doing transactions. Look at this. $2.2 million wow. five hours ago. 200 grand, 700 grand, 1.3, 2.1, 6.4. This is not some homeboy at home going, I'm hanging up my cyberpunk. <laughs> this, this is a an institutional trader or somebody in the business that knows this is bullcrap and they're making money off it. Bro, it's Elon. <laughs> Exposed. How would, they, how would they make money on something like that? It seems Trading like. Trading it. It's just trading. It's they're gonna hold it for two or three months and then probably dump it. Uh, that's that's uh, they're, they're they're crypto trader. It's it's and I'm, I, it's got to be, it's got to be somebody with lots of money. You know how it is that any different from Kevin? What you're doing now, buying a stock and then selling it a few months it's later not, if it's a price target. It's no 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 no. Well well okay. <laughs> so the, no, I mean there are two things here. If you're buying like end phase, because you're like, this is fundamental value. I want to hold this for the next 10 years. That's one thing. If if I'm going to go buy some meme stock like Meta Material or Newegg or or whatever, uh, Camber Energy, and, and I'm going to ride the wave, I don't care. It has no fundamental value. It's a worthless company. It may as well be bankrupt. But I'm going to ride the wave, make money off of it, and dump it. Uh, that's fine. But what happens is that gets disconnected like what's actually happening gets disconnected in our conversation when we're just talking about how oh my gosh the floor and this is no offense i'm just saying the, the floor of these cyberpunks is now four hundred ninety thousand dollars or whatever makes it seem like these have value when when in reality they're just speculators toys um you, you were talking about bitcoin right the the nfts, NFTs oh what's uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the cyber Wait, quiet oh. everyone grandpa's talking <laughs> <laughs> get off my lawn 
Uh, well, yeah, but Kevin, hold on. But but against your point, hold on. Uh, stocks are uh, kind of uh, most of them are affordable for most people, right? So if these NFTs are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, like who are who's buying these? Like who is yeah, what, what is being manipulated? Like who is this trying to appeal to? The the hedge fund? Like they're trying to trick them? Like I don't. No, no, I, I, I think it's it, uh, nobody's buying this crap, caring about who's going to buy it in the future. They just mm. care that somebody's going to buy it. I guarantee you there are plenty of billionaires or hundred millionaires that sit around and they just gamble on this stuff because it's fun and, yeah. and they can make money on it or whatever. Uh, and, and hey, it works as long as it's going up. But this bestows a message in my opinion, to to the 99%, basically, who don't have these whale accounts, that these NFTs actually have value, when in my opinion, they don't, that they, they, there's no value, they're, they're trading and speculating, uh, speculation tools. The next time there's actually a liquidity crisis, which is totally keep in mind, the opposite of what we have had since uh, March of 2020, we have been in the opposite of a liquidity crisis, we've been drowning in money. Once we actually get to a real liquidity crisis again, mark my words, these are all worth zero. Hmm. But Kevin, yeah. can you literally say that same thing about like virtually anything? No, because see, like companies, like stocks, I think right. Jeremy will agree, they actually have PPE, plant property equipment. Uh, and that can include tangibles like machinery or human capital, uh, processes and systems. Uh, uh, that could include patents. That can include goodwill, which is like your brand value. This stupid JPEG has no brand value. Okay, maybe yeah. make cyberpunk. You're, 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 I, maybe I think it's created something. Hold on, but I think you're equating volatility to you know usefulness or uselessness. No, I think Kevin. Kevin has a point. Uh, with oh, something I, I, like a like a like a crypto punk, you have to have a you, you have to have a buyer for that specific item that you want that JPEG that you want to sell. And if you don't have a buyer for the JPEG, then you're gonna have to keep dropping the price until eventually someone's out there being like, "All right, I'll, I'll buy." What about it. real estate? You can say that I, I'm with you guys. I'm just trying to be a devil's advocate here. I'm with you, but I think you can say that about real estate too. Well, but all, real all estate is tethered. Have, Right. Two things. So first of all, real estate is tethered to the fundamental basis of what can you really realistically rent this for? Sometimes it rubber bands a little above or below, but real estate can't go to the moon because people are trading it and plowing into it one day and then moving out of it because the selling costs are too high. It's highly local. It takes a lot of time to process a transaction. It's not a convenient traders uh, speculation toy. Uh, what what is convenient to speculate on is something that I could trade within seconds, something I can get options on, something I could get easy debt against. Uh, totally the opposite of real estate. This is why real estate very frequently, I mean, like a thirty percent drop in real estate is like once a decade kind of thing, right? A thirty percent drop in in crypto is like like an every three or four months kind of thing, right? right. Uh, and and it's because, in my opinion, the ease of momentum to go in and out. Yeah, all, all of this to say, I think what you're really saying when it boils down to it is just this stuff is a lot more speculative and you should just be prepared to lose a lot over a very short amount of time. Not yeah. necessarily that they're worth zero or they're going to zero because I don't Fair. think that's necessarily true. You're just saying Fair. that. Okay, I, I do agree. I right. imagine that 
if we have some massive liquidity crisis, these will have some form of residual value. Because right. quite frankly, even us here, if we see a cyberpunk at $5,000 or $2,500, well, like at some point it's like, a, it's so how can I not buy it at that price, right? It's basically zero, right? Even if it's just 10% of what it is at 40 grand, it's basically zero compared to what it was, right? No, okay. I think zero, five grand is a lot, uh, especially if it has the potential to go up even higher. But useful, like zero implies it's just forever. It's done. It's never coming back, which I don't think. Oh, that it never comes. Okay. All right. Then maybe zero is not the right, but right word. Uh, okay. So I don't know. Any any other thoughts from uh, Graham, uh, Jeremy, Andre on, on NFTs? Uh, any other crypto coins you're looking at or do we want to move necessarily. on? Necessarily. I yeah. think we should probably move on to the Facebook since uh -huh. Jer Jeremy's holding a lot of money in Facebook, aren't you, Jeremy? Ooh, and he's selling all know. of it. You heard it here first. <laughs> I don't know about a lot of money, but I, I do have money in the FB. And uh, it's treated me very well, but it's a controversial stock, and it will continue to be one. You know what's funny is this latest one, this came out about um, some studies that Facebook was doing around things, right? And my thing is like, why is Facebook even spending time doing studies? Because no other companies do studies. You know what I mean? Like you don't see Apple doing studies about uh, iPhone addiction or something like that. Otherwise, I'm sure that stuff would come out. Right. I never see anything about that. Like, like why is, uh, you know, have we ever seen a, a study around YouTube addiction? Like, no, we haven't. Have we? It's kind of almost better to not do your little studies because your little studies are going to come out and uh, prove wrong. Right. I mean, <laughs> I can tell you there's always going to be a certain percentage of folks that get addicted to something right and it is actually harmful to them in, in some manner right gambling alcohol social media uh movies sports you know whatever it is right and it's just it's just the way it is and so you know uh, facebook's caught up in another thing and they'll get past this and then it'll be another thing um and a lot of a lot of folks are, are enemies of facebook for many various reasons and they seem to continue to pick up enemies they're taking a lot of advertising dollars from a lot of mainstream media so they're an easy uh punching bag and um you know it's gonna it's gonna continue to be that way for a long long time but this yeah, could apply also i think in a, in a way to youtube I, I know youtube has definitely tried to crack down on what videos they recommend but i could see this absolutely spilling over to youtube and tiktok in terms of the content that they uh, that they recommend people yeah, I mean, the, the, the same exact studies, you know, they were doing around like, well, there's a certain percentage of like girls that get body images, uh, like body image issues. They were making an argument. Right. Or, you know, people would feel bad because they saw certain people like, you know, uh, looked a certain way or, or had a certain amount of things. Right. The same thing could be said on, on YouTube. Right. Like, look at look at some of the biggest channels like the family vloggers. Look at the lifestyle those people are living. I can almost guarantee you there's a certain segment of people that are addicted to those sorts of videos. And they watch those, you know, family vlog channels that they live in, like these 10 bedroom mansions in like, you know, Calabasas or whatever. And, um, you know, but but, you know, other folks just don't do those studies. Right. So they don't come out. Um, which is kind of a smart idea if you don't want to hurt your business. Because like I said, there's always going to be a certain amount that gets hurt, right? I mean, you could say with us, I'm sure there's a certain amount of people that, that take stock market investing too far, 
and do some super risky stuff, stuff that we wouldn't agree with, but you could pin it back on us and be like, well, I started watching from them and they, they sent me down that rabbit hole or crypto or anything. Right. So I don't know, man, I just feel like you can make anything look bad if you want. You want uh, to do that. The, the, the problem that I see is that, uh, you know, a lot of their algorithms are based on both watch history and, and what you spend the most time looking at. So if you're engaging in a post that makes people upset, the algorithm is going to give you more posts like that and you will get more upset. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, they are a business. So their goal is to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. But, uh, you know, at what social cost is that if they're just feeding you the information that you just want to see more of that keeps you on the website longer versus giving you all other information that maybe causes you to be like, all right, that's the okay. Facebook for today. Click. So, so then, then we get into how much do we want to censor our society? You know, and how far we want to take it to China levels, you know, and it's like you can't look at this. You've got to look at this. You know, if, if I enjoy looking at something or watching certain videos or seeing certain Instagram pages, like I want to see more of that. And you guys, would, you know, I don't want to see some random crap that I don't want to see. Right. That's not that's not I don't want to watch some random YouTube videos. I want to watch certain YouTube channels. So it makes sense for these these social networks or whatever you want to call them to show us what's relevant. Right. If I want to watch a Graham Stephan video and I watched it yesterday and I smashed the thumbs up for him, I want to watch it his next one too. Don't go show me some other crap. Right. And so then you get down to the slippery slope of how far do you want to take it? How far do we want to censor people? And um, do we want to force certain uh, individuals in front of people's face? Because we're like, that could be dangerous for you. Yeah. I, I will say I agree a lot with what Jeremy says <clears throat> for me. I'm conflicted because I don't know where to draw the line between what Jeremy's saying and the social responsibility that platforms like Facebook have, because I think arguably Facebook has more influence over the political sphere than YouTube does. Like, I think if you want to run a successful election or if you want to, I mean, Twitter is a huge one too. It's, it's almost like a, it's a must thing now. Like you have to have that presence. And if Facebook is monetized through spreading negativity and misinformation, because it's easier to convince someone of a lie than it is to convince them they've been lied to, then they get to make more money by spreading that misinformation because it gets, gets that hatred. And it's like, ah, oh, we want to fight. And I think ultimately the social price that we pay is we don't trust each other anymore. We can't get our news sources from a singular place anymore. And I mean, does YouTube have that same impact? I don't know. I don't think that it does. I think Facebook has a far more reaching impact. But how do you quantify that impact? That's the hard part. It's like, how do you regulate that? Well, in, in fairness, Facebook did that for us. Uh, and so that's that's what's so crazy about this. This isn't about a small percentage. These are the Facebook files. It was a big uh, five-part series that they did in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's the, the one that really got me, because I, I, I actually read this in print, uh, was when, when you go to the actual article, uh, a few, few, some of the things, and these are statistics coming from Facebook, not people like shorting Facebook stock, right? These are from Facebook. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Or you go down to among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users trace their desire to kill themselves back to Instagram, right? These are, these are deep statistics, uh, especially when more than 40% of Instagram users are uh, under 20, 20, uh, 22 years old. Uh, and, and people maybe don't know how to cope with, with mental health because, quite frankly, mental health care in America sucks. It's absolutely trash. Uh, and, and you can't expect 
people's parents who are 40, 50, 60 years old to be able to help their kids figure out here's how to detach from the dopamine addiction of you constantly checking that little red notification icon, right? And then when you have an algorithm that's not actually showing you content that you subscribe to or like to, because remember, that's also not what YouTube does. YouTube doesn't show you content that you hit the like button on or subscribe to. It shows you stuff that gets you the most uh, watch time on that kind of content uh, based on the amount of times they show it to you. So they show you something and they're like, hey, we think you're going to watch this for eight minutes. But not only do we think you're going to watch this for eight minutes, we think you're going to share it with somebody else who's also going to watch it for eight minutes and they're going to share it. And so this one piece probably has a 24 minute value for every time we show it to you versus something else that might be informative which you're going to read or like or watch and not share, well, then Facebook's going to prioritize profits. They're going to give you more of what you're likely to share. And unfortunately, things that you're more likely to share tend to be divisive, tend to lead to more echo chambering in politics, uh, and and ultimately uh, harm society, as Andre was saying. And so that's yeah. where the balance is. I don't think this is a matter of censoring. So, so two things. One is like, where, where are those studies being done at? You know what I mean? Like Facebook. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it's like how how are they doing that? Are they straight up asking like people like you know th these questions like that? That's that's where I'm quite interested. It's like how do you just come out and ask somebody like, are you suicidal? By the way, do we make you have extra suicidal threats? Like maybe because you're asking me these questions, maybe I am down. <laughs> no, but I'm like seriously, like how do you get to that? That's that's some well, deep to, stuff. To, to be fair, Jeremy, I think if anything, the questionable aspect is that the statistics that are shown for Facebook are probably lower than the reality because they're probably looking yeah. at statistics retroactively and they're like, well, this story that came out about this person who killed themselves referenced Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And they're like, well, let's put that into the number. But the numbers that are not reported, because like you said, it's not something we ask people. I think the actual numbers are way higher than what's what's actually in that report. They they have the actual like slides. They they were polls that were done. Uh, so so like you could go in through the actual slides of the content. Like for example, uh, people would get asked surveys in general. How has Instagram affected the way you feel about yourself or mental health? And then they give answers. Much worse, somewhat worse, no effect, somewhat better, much better. In fairness, there are people who feel a lot better using the platform and make those votes, right? So is there an argument to be made that maybe some of the things uh, are, are being overblown? Maybe, but then it also does create cause for concern if, if uh, individuals in, in certain areas or, or specifically uh, girls uh, are, are uh, having more amplified body image problems or whatever problems because of their usage of a certain platform. Yeah. And then that's where the question is, where does... Where does Congress step in? Are they supposed to say, hey, Facebook, you're not supposed to be able to do what's profitable for you, even if that means people are dying? You know, that's that's the problem. It seems almost like it's magnifying whatever thoughts people are already feeling in that sense, where it's like if people are feeling good, they could go on Instagram and be inspired. And the people who are already not feeling as good, they'll go on Instagram and, and, and have those feelings of jealousy. So whatever they're feeling, maybe Instagram and Facebook just magnifies it. It's just turns it up whatever's already there yeah, that makes true sense. but i will but i think that youtube handled the situation much better because i don't know if you guys remember a few years ago the faces of youtube were very different than they are today like back then we had i don't want to like name any names but i'm sure you guys remember like alex jones he was kind of like the face of youtube's platform he was very kind of divisive kind of a character and so the fact that youtube is just kind of lightening up the mood i feel like google is handling this a little bit better 
Whereas Facebook's like, oh, hatred, like misinformation. Hell, if that gets you to spend more time on the platform. You know what I, I think it is? Uh, with, with the difference, though, between the two, I feel like is YouTube, it's very creator oriented. It's right. easy to point to one person, be like, that person, they're doing bad. Let's take them off the platform. Let's demonetize them versus Instagram. It's a lot more difficult to be like, all right, this this person. They got 20 million followers. They're posting too many nice pictures, making their people feel bad. Let's get rid of them. YouTube, I right. think, is more creator focused. So it's easier for them to cherry pick certain examples that maybe don't align with what YouTube stands for. Right. That's yeah. true, too. That's true, too. It yeah. is easier for Google and YouTube to monitor that kind of stuff. That's true, too. And it's interesting how everybody has a different experience. Because, I mean, for, for me on Instagram, like when I go on there, it's like I share memes with, with certain people that are close to me. And, like, we, we laugh about it and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, all this dark stuff. I'm like, holy smokes, man. People must be on the dark hole that I don't know about on Instagram. Like, holy smokes. But, you know, to the body image issues and things like that, it's like, well, you know, it, you know, if you watch the Kardashians, are you going to have those same sort of feelings because you see them and they're, like, so perfect? But now, you know, you'd rather blame it on Instagram rather than you're watching the Kardashians or is it different? You know, it just it gets yeah. really, you know, it gets I mean, yeah. And that's that's I see the the blurriness that, that you're painting uh, and, and it becomes this question of when you're watching Kim Kardashian, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, it's OTT over the top. And, and most people know it's uh, it's scripted. And if they don't think it's scripted, newsflash, it's scripted. Uh, the camera people are very expensive. They got to get their shots in on time. <laughs> uh, but now what's, what's uh, more of a potential issue is if you're a high schooler and you're 17 years old, you go to school, you see all your friends at school or whatever, uh, then you go home and uh, you go through your feed. And if the only thing you're being showed are pictures of the beautiful people in your class and not the ugly people in your class, then does that make you feel like crap? You know, that's where it becomes a problem is. And so that's where people make the argument. Should children, especially girls under 18, be shown uh, posts from their friends and their peers in a chronological manner rather than an algorithmic manner? Because chronological means you got to scroll through it and, and, and you see everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, algorithm means it's the algorithm just showing you either the, the you drama or the sexy stuff. I miss the funny. That's what I was about to say. I remember when I was using Facebook, I liked to be able to go on there and just see who posted most recent from my friends. Me too. I don't yes. care how beautiful or ugly they are. If you posted recently, that shows up at the top. What? I, I hated when they switched up to the algorithm. And that's when I stopped using it. But yeah, the problem is then, then you get you get creators and whatnot to just, um, you know, find ways around the system. Imagine if, if the way you logged on to YouTube, everything was chronological. Kevin would be doing 64 videos a day rather than just six videos a day. No, because then you just show up first and it's like, I'm, everybody's going to watch oh, no, my no. videos. I, 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 but no, I think for YouTube, though, it was different because then only the videos that your uh, subscribers, that your subscribers would get all of your videos rather than just right. mm -hmm. you know, like a certain small percent of it. Yeah. That was like the old days of YouTube where it's like if you had a million subscribers, you were going to get a million views because yeah. you were shown to all of those subscribers. So I don't know. I miss those days too. But I totally understand the company's profit motive and just be like, well, why would we do that? Let's just get people to spend more time. I get it. Yeah. Where does it cross the line? I feel like for Facebook and, and like personally, and I, I know this is very subjective and different for everyone. I think when it crosses over into politics and like we have 
discourse about like who who's who has the facts like what's the truth we, we don't trust each other anymore and that just becomes so toxic in society and i think yeah, that, that we, played a huge role in that yeah well we we go through time periods like that like people forget about the the old days of, of uh, newspapers newspapers got completely out of control for a while i don't know if this was back in the 20s or, or when i read about this but you know whoever wrote the craziest most ridiculous headline would be the one that sells the most newspaper right sure yeah but but like to kevin's point when you see a newspaper you kind of understand the whole affiliate structure sponsors you're like this is a play this is a show but social media is like real life, quote unquote. You, you think it's real life because everyone's showing you their most curated, perfect aspects of life. And so it's masked aspects. under this charade. Yeah, aspects, exactly. Your, your uh, assets. <laughs> I <laughs> get the idea. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's us as a society still trying to figure out um, you know, the good parts of this, the bad parts of this, and, and try to figure out how it fits into our lives. Like there's no doubt social media like fits fits into our lives, right? But it's we're, we're trying to find that balance. And I think we've gone through time periods. You know, remember, remember when alcohol used to be outlawed? You know, like you weren't allowed to drink alcohol in the United States and it was illegal, right? right? And then we found ways around that. And then we were like, well, you can't drunk drive. And like, right. you know, well, this and that. All I'll, say, all I'll say is anyone watching or listening, watch something called The Social Dilemma a great documentary on netflix it's basically it just shows how powerful social media is and how it's like it's a form of warfare at this point like we've gotten so efficient that these algorithms like your brain can't keep up with this like we were never evolved to just deal with this stuff it's, it's become weaponized at this point it's incredible definitely a social dilemma definitely check it out not a uh, shout out here to roberto blake first of all oh, for yeah. being a fellow youtuber uh, creator youtube creator also shout out for being a member for six months uh, roberto blake says individual responsibility period hard stop give a consumer the choice algorithm versus chronological can't child proof the world great show you guys i i mean i think that's great for adults great. algo versus chronological in fact personally on twitter i uh every to everyone i follow i uh turn on notifications for them because I've kind of gamed Twitter to where I just keep the notifications tab open and I just see everything chronologically. If I go to the homepage, I just see the curated stuff and it bothers me. I want to see it all. And so I, I have it scrolling right here on my desk. Uh, I think that's great if you're over 18. I think the question then becomes, should a 13-year-old have to make that choice? Yeah. Or do their parents? That, that, that's a good point. And then so it comes down to like, do you want to age restrict stuff? Right. Right. I think that's what it really comes down. Because at the end of the day, I, I don't know, man. I'm sure TikTok has the same type of uh, people that are dancing that are super popular that maybe are given these body image issues. And I'm sure TikTok's the same way. Right. And um, I can tell you, YouTube, I've definitely seen a lot of those 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 folks uh, that are on those family channels. They look like they might have a little bit of work done. And man, do they get a lot of views. You know, so uh, I don't know. I just feel like the whole it's I don't, I, everybody wants to cast it as just a Facebook problem. But I think it's an overall. No, you're right. It is. Stuff. It's much yeah. bigger than Facebook. It is much bigger than Facebook. It's so funny. Tick, uh, Corey and I compared our TikToks and what she sees in her feed versus what I see. Hers is like all funny skits and memes and mine's just not safe for work. Because <laughs> like, it's what you watch on. That's the thing. I know. TikTok I know. just gives you what whatever you stay on. So if, oh, if you I open know. it up, you're like, well, let me just finish this really quick. Oh, and it's, for sure. Well, I'm going to stay on a girl in a bikini a lot longer than a picture of a dog. I'm just like, sweet, <laughs> I want to watch this now. <laughs>
guilty it's it's yeah get me out of it i don't want it anymore <laughs> but i but you do no i, I don't use tiktok i don't use tiktok i'd like uh, to andre you need elizabeth warren to come teach you a lesson and delete that tiktok app this is true. please tell me what to do queen she'll show you a good time <laughs> wait 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 but hold on so how would you guys personally regulate this stuff like where do you drop sell it? the stock <laughs> shorted got it so so is, let, let me get this right kevin you want to sell the bullet makers but not the gun maker which the gun maker is apple <laughs> they, oh, they are they, they make the gun what's everybody using on the gun the, the, the oh, iphone is God. the gun okay the bullets are facebook instagram tiktok the platform we're on that changed my life. I'm not going to say anything bad about it. And the other things, right? So, so is it the bullet or is it is, is it the gun? What's really I don't know. Those don't are like one and the same, man. It's almost to me. I think it's like Apple's the city, uh, and uh, and and you're at the gun range talking about Facebook because it's it's on the floor and you're kind of having to like broom it around and stuff. <laughs> Google, Amazon, Apple, all day long. Throw Tesla in there. Uh, Facebook, I don't know. It's never been a thing for me. I personally, honestly, I can't say anything bad about the stock. Like fundamentally, I just don't like Facebook. I, like I just don't use it. It has nothing to do with this. I've said it like a million times on my channel. I don't. I just don't care about Facebook. I don't know. That's just me. I don't. What about you guys? I don't. I'm different about. It. I, I like their local. Fa I like the the groups. I'm a part of a reef aquarium group on Facebook. It's just mm -hmm. it's for some reason like stuff like that for networking of just obscure subjects, Facebook is still like the best, I think. That's why- their marketplace, like, you have to admit, their marketplace is pretty good. I love their marketplace. It's really good. I've sold a couple things on there. So I will say I, I like using it for just to keep in touch with my friends. But uh, I'm just speaking purely about like regulating wise, like is that was Roberto Blake, was that the best uh, approach? Just like give people a choice, whether they wanna be tracked or what they wanna see, is that the best approach? Just give people a choice. So I think that's a really great way of going about it. Well, I mean, you're seeing that now with the Apple uh, adpocalypse, where Apple is allowing people to agree or to opt out of their data being tracked to have customized ads delivered to them. And Facebook's kind of been freaking out a little bit about it. I mean, I'm sure Jeremy can speak to this more, but we've certainly gotten lower guidance uh, uh, and and warnings that the Apple adpocalypse is having a more a, a larger impact than expected. It makes sense because the beautiful thing about Facebook used to be that as an advertiser, you could go in there and you could go, I specifically want women between 52 and 67 right before retirement and i'm going to give them this certain catered political ad and as soon as they get social security income i'm going to give them social security related ads from 65 to say 80 or whatever right uh, and so i wonder how many of the people sitting in in, in congress you know complaining about facebook are going to stop using facebook for their ads because of this stuff Mm. Yeah, you're having to spend a lot more now to get yeah. the, same, the same amount. That, that's what it comes down to on, on Facebook. Does this now. affect affiliates, you guys think? Affiliates? What do you mean? Yeah, like you know, if somebody clicks on a link through your, let's say, YouTube channel, and does the website track and knows that it came <laughs> off of a video or not? 
Um, yeah, I don't think it's so much that. It, it was really an attack on, 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 for the most part, Facebook and that sort of data. Um, no, no, for sure. I'm just saying for Apple's privacy thing where it asks apps not to track, does it track your traffic so that if somebody clicks on your affiliate link, does it give you the credit or does it not know where that user came from and therefore you don't get that credit? I don't think it touches that. I, I could be wrong, oh, but yeah. I, I don't know. Either. Yeah, I don't think it touches that. But um, yeah, because I think that's like IP cookieing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that's okay. Uh, I don't know with certainty, but uh, I think really what they're trying to scrub is the fact that uh, as an app creator, you used to be able to essentially know, oh, I've got this many people on my app who like Donald Trump on Facebook, you know, <laughs> and then you could target to that group, like target everybody who likes Donald Trump, all right, or, or target everybody who who likes, you know, I don't know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, whatever, right? These specific causes. Yeah. British people be like, turn on your biscuits, turn on <laughs> your crumpets. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it might come down to age restriction on a lot of these things. Maybe maybe over time there's some sort of age restriction on Facebook, Instagram, Discord. Uh, I wonder if anybody ever gets um, sad or mad on Discord. Yeah, I, I, could, I could totally see an age restriction, but the problem is that everyone lies about their age anyway everyone is going to say they're 18. So it's unless they require ID that because yeah. in congressional testimony today, the uh, Francis who testi uh, testified the whistleblower, she said that Facebook tells everyone that everyone lies about their age. But according to her research, only 10 to 15 percent of kids lie about their age. Because they don't, don't need to because they don't need to on fake. Here's the thing, like on YouTube, let's say you want to watch the 18 plus videos. You're going to lie about your age. On Facebook, it, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 19. You're going to get the same experience. Well, it so matters no if you're under 13 your because if you're 10, you're not allowed to use Facebook. Well, then you then you say you're 11 or 12, whatever, whatever the minimum age is. I don't know. Right. But but how many 10-year-olds are going on I mean, I just don't know. But I would assume it's not much. I would assume <laughs> if, they have, if they have any sort of restriction in place, people are going to lie about their age. Mm. Well, folks, do we have anything else to wrap up on? Um, we talked about the debt ceiling. We talked about Biden. No, we didn't talk about Biden. I don't know if we, we want to do that. We talked about Facebook, crypto, stocks. I don't know. Do we want to touch briefly on uh, – we did talk about inflation, so that's we roughly did. Biden, right? Anything else we want to Yeah, Andre, you just got to mention the link down below in the description. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys want to find out the top five stocks that I picked – Click the link down below and you'll find out. And again, it's like a little competition between all of us. So definitely check it out. I'll be doing it, Andre. And then I could short all of those stocks. <laughs> yeah. I have. We share at least one stock. So I hope you don't short it because that would be a bad idea. <laughs> well, whatever stock that is, I'll, I'll keep that. <laughs> okay. Same. Right. I, I looked at that stock and I'm like, yes. I actually just recently bought some of that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> let's, let's not touch Biden because that sounds weird. And uh, wrap it up. <laughs> All right, guys. So with that said, make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell, use that link down below in the description. Uh, there's also the Millennial Money Clips channel. Make sure to subscribe to that. We post consistent videos on that. So if you want to get the best highlights and clips, the link to that is down below in the description. It's all free. So subscribing is free. Hitting the like button costs you nothing. So you may as well just quickly do that. Thank you guys so much. And until next time. Super Saiyan.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.